you will burn yourself out even when things are going right if you're just working too much. So it's like, I always, when I'm feeling like a little bit stressed, I'll just take Friday off. I like to take like littler breaks more often as opposed to like a two week long thing. But um, however it works for you, that's a great part of being a freelancer is you get to choose what works for you. That's like the best part. The Side Hustlers Perspective Podcast is fuel for your mind and creative grind. Each week, we break down the art of healthy hustling, getting out of your own way, and growing your creative business. What's going on? You're listening to episode 229 of the Side Hustlers Perspective Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Scotty Russell, and my mission is to put you in a position to turn your side hustle into your main hustle. You can follow along with my latest art, design, and tips on mindset, motivation, and marketing on Instagram at Coach Scotty Russell and all things podcast at Side Hustlers Perspective. So today's topic, I have been attacking these two myths for a hot minute now. And the first one is that you don't need big clients to be a successful creative freelancer. The second myth that I've been trying to dispel now is that selling your own products isn't the only way to make additional side hustle income. These are just two options of the many that you can pursue on your path. However, if you're sold on chasing the freelance and or the merch path, then you've come to the right place. So you might as well learn from the best as today's guests knock out work ranging from small mom and pop brands, you know, the small to medium sized people all the way to the big brands we all know. They also crush it on the side slinging merch, resources, and more to their hungry communities they've been building and nurturing over the years. I'm talking about... My homies, my homegirls, Jen and Amy Hood of Hoodspa Design and Joshua Ariza of Chomp Brand, aka the Three Hood Triplets as some may call this terrific trio. And I will say, if you want to learn more about all their case studies of their select big brands they've worked with or their product offerings, please scope out the links to their websites in the show notes as well as check out the past episodes I've done with them. But today's format is just heavy Q&A based on topics they get asked all the time, as well as a gaggle of questions from listeners like you. I think you're going to dig it. So more specifically, we're going to talk shop today on carving out time to play, tips for creating your own merch, creating offerings built on demand versus guessing the pros of small and medium clients, plus a ton of quick fire questions from Twitter followers. My goal with this episode is to prove that there's room for everyone at the table as you carve out your own unique path. Also, stick around for the outro as Josh of Chomp is going to give you a killer listener-only promo code to save yourself some hefty cheddar on a future Chomp purchase. Before we get started, support for the Side Hustlers Perspective podcast comes from Adobe Max. Woo! Let's get it. Adobe Max is the annual global creativity conference and it's going online this year, October 26th through 28th. This is sure to be a creative experience like no other. Plus, it's all free 99. Yes, sir, 100% free. This won't cost you a dime to access over 25 hours of keynotes, luminary speakers, breakout sessions, workshops, musical performances, and even a few celebrity guest appearances. It's going to be a one-stop shopping experience for your inspiration, goals, and creative tune-ups. Stay tuned because I will be giving away three Adobe Creative Cloud membership licenses. So in the next coming weeks, so pay attention. I'll also be having giveaways through the Adobe Max site. So you're able to explore over 300 sessions across 11 tracks, hear from amazing speakers and learn new creative skills. 
all online, all free this October. So register again for free for the millionth time over to max.adobe.com. And I'll also have this in the show notes. Thanks, Adobe. Last thing, could you do me a quick favor? This show grows because of dope souls like you sharing the good word with your family, your friends, or your following. And it would mean the world to me if you took a screenshot or a video of you working to this in the background, make sure to tag um, both myself at Side Hustlers Perspective, Chomp Brand, and Hutzpah, so we can connect and I can reshare the love back. So share that on your Instagram stories. And as always, keep an open mind and act on anything that inspires you today. Let's go. So to catch people up to speed, I had Jen and Amy on. Oh my gosh, look, we're, we're old now. So March 28th of 2018, episode 71. This is episode 229, by the way. Uh, and then Chomp, Josh Ariza of Chomp, episode 113 of January 30th, 2019. So it's been a while. This is very long overdue. So I really appreciate y'all making time to do this with me. And this is going to be a weird hodgepodge today. Kind of, I think we kind of just threw a bunch of topics together. Josh went and crowdsourced some ideas too. So let's just throw it all out there. Let's do brief intros, brief Wikipedia page summary in case someone on this floating rock in space does not know who you are or what you do. And let's give it over to Josh first since they like broke the ice first all right oh yeah 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 yes the man goes first no, so um <laughs> my uh I'm a, i tell people i'm a commercial artist a brand designer and apparel specialist um i'm self-employed and then i also run an apparel brand called chomp which is sold at various retailers and on the internet at chompbrand.com so um kind of a jack of all trades been in the business for about 15, 16 years. I'm not sure. I'm old now, man. Dad. I'm going to start using face cream and stuff. <laughs> Josh, you're forgetting that you've gone viral on Twitter multiple times. Yo, man, that's a nightmare. You don't want to go viral on Twitter. <laughs> the USA Today logo. I remember the USA Today logo, and people were like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> really? Really? You're doing that? Oh my God. Yeah. I like to troll the design stuff a, a little bit. You know, it's usually pretty lighthearted, but you people can take it pretty seriously sometimes. I, I just like to joke about design and, and, and stuff. And I keep it pretty positive on there because it's pretty much a hellscape, I think, out there on Twitter. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is true. All right. I think we should go Amy and Jen now. Okay. Yes. Uh, you give our spiel. Oh, um, we are Amy and Jen of Hoodspa. We do brand identity and type design. Um, we've recently been getting into a lot of like title treatment movie logo design, which has been super fun. And we've been fleshing out like our little mini hood fonts foundry a lot recently. So making fonts, taking, we're actually taking the rest of the year mostly to work on internal stuff like fonts. So we're hoping to have a bunch to share like across, you know, the next half of this year and next year. And um, yeah, it's, it's fun. And how we've all connected was conferences. Like that's pretty much the name of the game and things are starting to open up kind of again but regardless power of relationships conferences have been everything that's why this show is going and that's where i've met you all but let's jump into just like question number one everyone wants to everyone wants to chase the big big clients as they feel it leads to social proof they want to get that clout if they do their thing full time then you know they'll be taken seriously at least that's you know the route that i thought i had to take can you speak towards the experience of the value of small and medium clients and the benefits that may outweigh working with them versus the big guns and let's lead off with jen 
Well, I think uh, smaller clients, you don't realize until you move into the realm of larger clients, how magical it can be working with small clients, because with a small client, I mean, in many instances, um, you can easily con convince them that you're the expert, you know, and they came to you because, you know, you know what you're doing and they don't know anything about design. The bigger the company, the more they think that they know everything, which they do. They know a lot. But at the same time, you just become some like, you know, some person that they've hired and they have power and control over is how they feel it, you know, and they can hire anyone to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What you can do is how they kind of feel. So um, there's just a lot more people to run things by and it's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, it's more likely that it'll become designed by committee. I feel like yeah. because they're like, yeah, we're going to have our shareholders look at this. And yeah. it's like, oh no. Well, and the whole <laughs> thing behind that is the more risk there is, the more people are going to be joining in to try and minimize the risk as much as possible, which means a lot of the creativity and the fun and just the fluidness that a lot of us love about creativity of just like making something and like riding that high and kind of getting it done quickly, it goes straight out the window and everything takes a lot longer and really kind of gets distilled down. So there's a lot to be said, even if you are chasing those big clients, like power to you, do it. I mean, it's so valuable to get that experience to learn how it goes. But um, when you start working with them, you'll remember why it's also fun to balance that work with small clients who give you way more freedom and you can kind of, you know, set the pace a lot more. Yeah. I mean, I think I would totally agree with that assessment and one of the things that's interesting about working for big companies is that a lot of times on the insides of these companies, they have tear sheets of the smaller brands. They have the inspiration of the smaller brands and, and they're looking at a lot of that stuff actually. So it's sort of just an interesting sort of tug and play between big brands sort of being inspired by smaller brands. Um, and I think a lot of the most interesting work I've done over the last couple of years has been for sort of just medium, small size brands who said, hey, you like this thing you did, you want to go whack, wacky with us, you know? And so I, I think that for me personally has been a lot more rewarding working with some of this, you know, I don't know if New Belgium is a small brand or not, uh, or a big brand, but they just let me do whatever, honestly. And so they're not, um, you know, they wouldn't be Adidas, um, but uh, in terms of size, but they're letting me flex on whatever I want. And I think honestly, that's the kind of stuff that just pays dividends. Like making a really rad thing pays dividends probably more so uh, than having just some large brand name. Uh, that does help. You know, certainly it's a cosign, but it's just the people making rad stuff are the people making rad stuff. And I think that's sort of universally agreed upon with designers that it doesn't really matter who the brand cosign is. I mean, that's my thought. I don't know if you all have experienced this too, but I found that our mid-tier clients are the best paying, like the middle-sized companies that are probably at their most efficient. You know, they've hired exactly who they need and it hasn't become over bloated yet. There isn't like a real excess and breadth of like expenditure because when you get to the real top tier clients, they have so much going on and they're so used to kind of like leveraging their name to get whatever they want at almost like cut rate prices. They'll find anyone to do it cheaper than you, you know, <laughs> yeah. because everybody wants to work with them. So sometimes you're appalled by the pricing that they're expecting to get, you know? People will be pitching for free. They'll literally yeah, just yeah. like, yeah, you know, let's pitch you some ideas that I spent on for the last couple of weeks. Some exposure bucks. Exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> exposure bucks. That's funny. So overall, the sentiment is what I'm gathering that I'm hoping like the people here and here that aren't on the level of the stature that you are on yet is that you don't need big brands to be successful. Like, yeah, it's helpful. It's cool and all, but at the same time, like you can work your way out to it. And just because you may not have a big client list of select work, doesn't mean you still can't crush it and make waves. 
Yeah, I just think I'm kind of old school with it. Like, I think your portfolio is the thing that pays dividends. You know, making interesting work is, is what it is. You know, and it's like, just because you pay, you played for like this big team, if you don't have a proof of concept, you're not really leveraging much, you know? I mean, maybe there's some manager or director level type, type of stuff where you're not really an individual contributor necessarily that it probably matters more. But I think just at the level of the practitioners that me and Amy and Jen are, I think, it, it just matters more that you can make cool stuff. Yeah, I agree. I, that's what I was going to say is like, it's so funny how like the fun work for the smaller clients is what brings the bigger clients usually. So it's like, and having that and, and even just being able to share it in your portfolio. I have so many friends who are like, can't share this. It's under NDA. Can't share this. It's under NDA. We actually started having a caveat in our contracts that if a client won't let us show the work that the price goes up, because that's the way that we generate. That's like our biggest marketing asset is our portfolio. So, you know, if they won't let us share it, it's almost, we usually just won't even take it. It's almost not even worth it. You know, also we're egomaniacs. <laughs> like I can't talk about it and share it. Uh, it's not even worth it. The world can't see it. No, I'm kidding. My, my head bar- barely fits in this room right now. Yeah. I, think, <laughs> yeah. I just want to make cool stuff. So if you're preventing me from doing that in any capacity, it just immediately changes the the project dynamic for me. It does. It's hard. It's hard to get excited because already like just working for yourself, Ariza, you know this, it can be really isolating. You just sit in a room alone all day. So that's like getting to show the project at the end is like the one time I get to like interact with humans and be like, <laughs> this is fun, right? Let's talk about this. You know, like, uh, hello, is anyone out there? To stack on top of that, your original episode, Hootspah, that was all about getting uncomfortable and hiring yourself. Josh, yours was all about like why concept is king to stand out. In order to even get these jobs in the first place, the fun jobs, it goes back to hiring yourself in a sense. So how do you still keep the play alive and carve out time to do your thing? A concept comes into your idea, always hurried, never worried, or whatever it is, you know, that or a basketball Lakers reference. How do you carve out time to make that happen when your plate is just hella full with life, responsibilities, client work, deadlines? merch, etc. Yeah, we do a ton. I mean, I think I'm just like a bit of, I was listening to Sam Bergini's episode with you actually, uh, Scotty. Sam is like- He's so chill. Like, I don't even think he knows how dope his work is. Isn't he so cool? He's like so down to earth though. And that's what I love about him. And he just likes to do it. So he does it. And that's kind of how I am. Like, I'll see something that I like and I'm also very competitive, which is why I love sports. So I'm just like, I bet I could do that. And I bet I could make something really cool. So I always like, <laughs> you almost said, I bet I could do it better. I, did, I almost said that. I did almost And then that. you caught yourself. I did catch myself. This is called PR in happening as we say it. It's so weird to hype your own stuff without being coming off as like a dick. You're like, yeah, I'm so good at this. <laughs> totally. But I think, yeah, but it's like, you know, obviously you get in this to this because you want to be good at it. It's not even the funny thing is, is I sometimes I'll know I'm not good at something yet, but I'm like, I can figure that out. And that like, you know, spurs me onward. So I'm always just like Sam is like, I'm always doing stuff on the side just for fun. Do you intentionally be like, yo, I'm feeling a little burnt out these days or I'm overwhelmed. Like, I need to carve out some playtime. Does it ever get to that point where you, or is that just in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do it all the time. Oh yeah, I have to. I mean, um, especially with client work sometimes because, you know, 
we are working for clients and I love that actually. Like that's the reason I didn't go into fine art fully is because I don't have, I need a concept. I need a subject. I need something to start with. And then I can riff. I love riffing on like something with parameters. So I, I, I don't want the client to feel like this is what you get, take it or leave it. I obviously want them to be involved, but sometimes, you know, just whether it's like nutrition labels or FDA guidelines or whatever you have to follow for the project, it can like water down, you know, the concept. So having your own free time to like try new skills, you know, that's, that's how we got into like really into type further was just like doing all these fun little lettering live streams. It shares our process. It kind of, you know, helps others figure out like how to do some typography things and it helps us learn new skills, you know? So just, you know, anything where I'm like, I think I want to learn how to do that. I just give myself a little project and then figure out a way to like make it helpful for our audience as well and give it away as like a little freebie or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of on the topic of making things in your free time. I'm sort of just in a fun position where chomp is the thing that I would make in my free time. And it turns out that that's just a brand that needs content and needs graphics and no one can tell me shit, you know, when I make stuff. So I think it's, it's ironic because um, it tends to be the thing that gets leveraged a lot for like new work. So that's awesome. um, it's like when you're, you're just off on your own brief doing your own thing. That's the thing that has been, been helping out. We want this thing. We want this look. And so that's been helpful. Yeah. All the airbrush stuff that I was doing for chomp got leveraged into a bunch of ad campaigns, you know, this last year for, uh, for fruit smash. So I think, yeah, the kind of exploration, the little bit of brief, the making stuff in your free time is always helpful. I'm just, I'm the same way as, as what Amy was saying, where it's like, I want to know how that was made. I think I can get this look. I can, I can art direct and I can get to this level, but you know, there's sometimes you miss the mark, but you know, it's still fun to just kind of like play with the tools, you know? I don't, I don't, I'm not a content marketer like these other, a lot of designers are where they like, you know, they do a, a phrase every day or they do some type every day. And I'm like, how on God's green earth can you do this? <laughs> it's incredible. It, you know, leveraging a lot of followers sometimes helps a lot of people. The more followers I get, the more people are just asking me to design their tattoos. So I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to like give you a huge shout out. I'm big on engage audience building from an authentic standpoint. I love when you do shoot me two emojis and let me just make some shit together. Like, dude, that is the dopest thing. Yeah. Not That's like <laughs> such a sick ass hack to that. get engagement, but then you deliver and just crush <laughs> it. I, I keep throwing, I think the same one up every time, like a dinosaur and a piece of pizza. Once in a while, I'll switch it up and be like, maybe he'll notice me. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I know I want to do it. There's a lot of good ones, you know. It's more like there's uh, people have been doing aliens and stuff. I want to draw an alien, but it's one of those things where um, it's a bit of a challenge and it's a bit of a hack because you're just like, you know, who's serving up free content for me? I mean, obviously, I have to do the hard work of like art directing it and designing it, but it's a fun little engaged process. It's like getting a brief from someone else at the most basic brief form, you know? Exactly. Yeah. We did, uh, uh, I did send me your last text or something, your last text you received or something like that. And somebody (laughs) said, happy birthday, bitch. So I turned (laughs) into a middle finger with like a birthday candle with the middle finger. And it's just the engagement with the audience is fun. Briefing yourself is fun. Dude, it's a fun job, man. It's just cool that we even get to do it. I think that's the main thing. It's play. It's fun. And a lot of people, have unrealistic expectations of like, oh my God, I got to monetize this 
overnight. I just roll out of bed, start designing or building merch or designing logos. And I have to monetize this right away. I'm like, dude, that's going to suffocate the joy. Sometimes it does. Yeah. If you want to test how much you love something, do it for a living. Uh, <laughs> you got to like enjoy the shit out of it and be good at it in order to do it long-term before the demand and the value you're able to like attract and provide with it. Um, speaking of parameters and constraints, let's talk about constraints. That is huge topic in principle. I like to work with my students and especially in terms of like time management, giving yourself a brief or client briefs. And this is be, these seem to be areas that students or creatives I talk with all the time struggle with the most. And so knowing that you do a lot of personal work in your own um, merch lines, product lines, as well as tons of clients work, how do you leverage constraints towards your advantage as opposed to like constraints paralyze you? Yeah, why don't you, I mean, we, we both, both of our groups, we design for a lot of different mediums. Like oh, yeah. I was just working on some broadcasting stuff for a show that's going to be produced for Ariel Helwani, who's kind of like the leading MMA journalist. And it's just kind of, you know, constraints are like a funny term because they're, yeah, they are parameters. Um, like, you know, I've never designed lower thirds before. So I designed some lower thirds or, you know, hadn't really designed for title graphics too much. And um, it's kind of just, for me, it's actually just fun to try new things, you know, like, oh, I haven't, I haven't designed for this medium before. Let's see what it looks like or podcasting or whatever else. Podcasting is totally untapped in terms of like, you know, you, Scotty's doing a nice job and, and having people kind of illustrate and, and do their own tiles. But outside of that, podcast art is just bad. And it's not, it's not even brand design, really. Oh, it's so bad. It's so easy to stand out. <laughs> I, I feel very blessed over here for every one of you all. I, I, yeah, I'm very, very, very lucky. The Sam Bergini one was super Dude, sick. I mean, yeah. That. that was so dope. Yeah, I mean, um, so I think there's kind of an untapped place there. And I think just designing for new mediums is really interesting and fun to me. So, and then uh, I think the last thing I would say is a lot of my clients do make my work better. Actually, as much as I reluctantly to hate to say that, like the constraints or the parameters or the adjustments that they're, they're asking for um, usually help the project look, look more better. You know, it's so true. Yeah, it's like doing the New York times crossword puzzle. I like the puzzle aspect of it. Right. Right. I mean, the constraints are what make it kind of like a challenge for sure. I, the scariest thing to me is like a blank page. So if I have no constraints, that's when I really just start yeah, freaking same, out. Same. Oh yeah. Just do whatever. And you're like, Oh fuck. And then it becomes, <laughs> I know what I don't like when I see it. One time I gave my tattoo artist like just like too much like opportunity to make something. And it basically ended up being like, you didn't give me any guidance. So now I'm kind of stumped. And it's like, I think it was kind of frustrating for him because it's like, you, I just gave him a list of things he could draw and it's like, okay, well, I just need a little more nudge than that. And he kind of realized over, over time that just too much freedom is actually really unhelpful for people. Totally. So like one tip that I give students then just to like add something else to it, I'll make it super brief. But when a student's struggling to hire themselves for a project with all you are experts at, I try to at least help them like, hey, constraints, breed creativity, give yourself like a four hour window to knock something out it has to be done. Use a specific color palette, um, use one medium, use the same Procreate brush, whatever it is, strictly go digital uh, iPad or just keep it micro, whatever. But do you have anything else that you would say is a tip for your own personal work or that you leverage in terms of constraints when you get a brief or a client job with a crazy deadline? Any hacks that you have? Oh, yeah. I mean, as far as constraints for myself, I don't know if it's necessarily with a client, but 
Um, if I'm trying to do a personal project, which is like the thing that can get out of hand the quickest as far as like procrastinating and just never posting and never finishing, I give myself set time parameters. And it's actually why I started live streaming the process because you have to sit down and do it for an hour and you have to just finish something. It's like habit stacking <laughs> and atomic habits. They talk about get one habit and then stack it with another habit so you can do it. Okay. And people expect it. So they're like, when are you going to live stream again? And you're like, oh yeah, like, I guess we should do this thing again. And also I need to do an illustration for our new book or like whatever it is, you know? So that really helps me to have, I'm like, okay, I'm giving myself one to two hours and whatever I finish, I'm going to post. So it better like get cooking, you know? <laughs> and it helps me just like get over the, like, does this look right? Does this look right? Should I use this color and just like make something? Um, which I think is the hardest part. It allows you to not be too precious with yourself. If you have these parameters and time limits. Yeah. And I love that Sam said that too, Sam Bergini, he was just like, just post it. Like people get way too precious. That's why Instagram, everyone hates it now is it's too polished. It's like, that's why everyone's fleeing to TikTok. So it's like, share, share it even when it's not perfect and say, this isn't done yet. And then people will appreciate that. You know, that's the real look. It's like Jen and I are, we were talking about a while ago, like scrolling down all the way to some, on someone's dribble profile to their first work. Somebody you really <laughs> and you're like, it's just so like, it really levels the playing field. It actually you know? makes you feel so good. You're like, yeah. okay. So we all originated somewhere <laughs> terribly awful. And then we all the kind of, okay, I get it. Well, yeah. And the great thing about posting something that's not that great, or you're like, I'm only an hour into this is then you're like, shit, I got to finish this. They have to know that I'm better than this. Cause you'll come back to it the next day and see everything that's wrong. And then it helps you like get moving to finish it. So yeah, giving myself a time limit. And also the best thing we ever did was set a color palette for chutzpah. I can't tell you how much time I spent trying to figure out color. We make color palettes for our clients all the time. So they avoid this. And yet we, it took us like five to seven years to finalize a chutzpah color palette. So that also helped. Send that to me so I can use it for all my projects. (laughs) Okay, cool. Josh, you have anything to add for your constraints? Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I just have a, I do that like emoji kind of feedback thing. And I think a lot of that is just the pressure of like, what can I make in this moment or free time? It's just like a fun little engagement thing. So I think my constraints are that like, I ask people to do something so I should, I should reply back and actually make it happen. <laughs> Follow through, yeah. Also, Scotty and Arisa, you, you guys both have kids. So you're like, I just have to get this done so I can go home and like be with my family. <laughs> I don't, I don't have that thing. So I'm just kind of like, I just have to give my time limits. Yeah, boundaries and deadlines. Like otherwise, I'm a workaholic. I I I'm obsessed yeah. with this. This is play. I don't ever want to shut it off. So family is a good uh, constraint for me for sure. Oh yeah, well that also filters all the people who like want to meet with you but won't tell you about their project. <laughs> like, can you have a quick? Can we hop on a quick phone call? You're like, ah, we don't have quick phone calls anymore. You gotta, yeah. gotta tell me right. Gotta, gotta take my kids. Tell me the budget. Yeah. Tell me the budget. Tell me the scope. Right. And if you can't explain it simply in an email, like, there's a bigger problem. Yeah. Like, you know, like. Yeah. No, I know what the problem is. It means we want you to work for free, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, I've had someone told me once that their biggest clients, like, you know, are people who are like, we'll send them uh, an email from their phone, and it's like call me. I have a project. It's like, which is the most annoying email you can ever get is just call me. I have a project. You're like, I need more context. Cause I need to know going in if I'm going to say no or not, you know, <laughs> but, um, but anyways, but that was, you know, he was working with like some of the biggest, like, like, you know, fortune 500, but I, those are people who are so busy. Yeah. You can definitely see if it's like amy at disney.com. You're not going to be, <laughs> <Right. laughs> you say, yes, I'll anything. take the call. Yeah, I will yeah, take yeah. the call. <laughs> All right. A lot of creatives think 
the path to success again is full-time freelance to get that clout and all the people they look up to like you all also have their own merch line, their own products. You know, I was guilty of this, like, oh my gosh, in order to be successful, I also have to have my merch for my fans to buy my shit. But you all slay it in both of those departments. Can you speak towards your past of building product-based businesses outside of your creative day job work? Yeah, I mean, you could you can start an apparel brand, like in Bootstrap one, or you can make a bonfire using $100 bills. And they produce <laughs> pretty much the same amount of results. <laughs> it's so hard to do merch and like don't force it and don't feel bad if it doesn't work because it's so much work and you really yeah. have to love it. And it's so few make it successful like Ariza did. Yeah, I think, yeah, successful. Thank you for calling me successful. Um, <laughs> but um, I think one of the things about the, the merch thing is about stick to um, and not buying too deep, right? I mean, you could obviously do like a printful plugin to your Shopify shop and just see what kicks off. And if people are interested on the print on demand stuff, then maybe you make some units. Um, for me, it was sort of, I always, I was always leveraging that I had kind of some retail support, wholesale purchasers, people who are buying in bulk. So that has always made it a bit easier. Um, so I would get a PO, I would produce some extra units for my e-com shop, and then I would deliver to someone's, you know, retail. Um, and so that's how I'm able to survive. With, without that stuff, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's really difficult to make a profit margin on that kind of stuff. Um, but it is brand building, right? Like the exercise is that you're building a brand. People are becoming familiar with the intellectual property. They like the messaging. They like the colors. They like you. And that part is really, really special in terms of, of learnings. Um, but otherwise, you can just get a bonfire or use, a, you know, <laughs> or use a hundred dollar bills as toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, it's trial and error. I, for hundred percent, you can't go all in and think overnight I'm going to make a bunch of money on this. Yeah. Um, so in that same vein, like like you said, start small and test it small, and then you'll see what people actually want. Because the things you think they want are never what so, they actually it's want. So disappointing. <laughs> yeah. And we we tried. We started out with stuff that was like one size fits all. That's a real way to start because yeah. sizing of t-shirts is such a nightmare, especially if you're doing women's and men's. Yeah, yeah. You know? or, or like so, a wallet, you know. Like I think this you count like just for people who don't know. You, when you have one style of t-shirt, you usually have five SKUs. So you have a small, medium, large, extra large, double extra large. Um, when you have just a wallet or something like that, you just have one graphic on a wallet and you really only have one SKU. So I think, yeah, there's a, a budgeting units issue that always happens there with folks. And I'm, I've never been great at it personally. Um, so hopefully one day I'll get it. <laughs> right. We kind of think of it, okay, we kind of treat it as a, usually like some sort of a chutzpah internal like promotional gift is where most of our merch comes from. It's just something like, hey, what's something fun that we would like to wear that we could give to friends or people after we finish a project? And it's a cool way to kind of like cap it off and, you know, remind them of us, right? That's the big thing. It's like when they see it, they're like, oh yeah, chutzpah, and hopefully they come back. The leave behind or something. Exactly. So it kind of starts as that. And then it's like, if people on our social, when we post about it, want it, we'll make more. So that's a easy way to look at it is like, I'm not going to make money at this. This is more biz dev to kind of just like build like brand recognition and create some sort of like an emotional connection with my clients. And then it's bonus points if other people besides your clients, aka like peers or just fans want to buy it, right? Yeah. But um, so that's one thing way we look at it. But y'all sold like 10,000 books. 
So that's what I was going to bring up though. Never in my wildest dreams would I've ever wanted to write a book or thought that we should, or that that would be what was selling well for us. But speaking back to where we met at the creative, uh, South Conference. No, no, we met Scotty circles. at Crop, didn't we? Circles. Circles, circles. that's okay, what it was, okay. circles. Yeah, we had well, like all of us crammed into a car heading somewhere. I saw you when we were driving by and I go, Scotty, get in, we're getting barbecue. Like, <laughs> barbecue? <laughs> Jumped Fuck in. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. So. <laughs> exactly. I remember that so clearly. Well, Creative South was our first conference and we got invited to speak and we had never spoken before. And we we're like, what would we even talk about? And Mike Jones was like, well, just talk about how you started your business. And we're like, okay and we couldn't even really remember how we done it it was so trial and error and we had done so much wrong and had to overcompensate and correct so much people need to hear that yeah people need to hear that because otherwise it's like oh my god i wish i could be on hoodspot level or mr ariza's level before you started like kicking out merch how did how long had you been grinding or slowly building an audience behind the scene before you're like fuck it i'm gonna put out a pen or i'm gonna make a coffee mug with a funny saying and don't type on it that's like sold out 17 million times and I still haven't gotten one. So <laughs> like how long did I you, it, were you like, okay, I need to just give this a shot. Cause a lot of people are just defeated if their sticker pack doesn't sell out when they have a hundred followers and they're like, I suck. I'm not cut out for this. I'm like, you didn't even give yourself, I, I put my first print. I've talked about it here before. I made a, a series of five by seven letterpress prints. I had 10,000 Instagram followers. I thought I was going to sell all 300 of these. I still have a hundred. I've probably given away 150 and I maybe sold 50 of them. Yeah. That's it. That's it. We did so much merch from day one because we were just trying to build a portfolio because our work before that had just been from the coupon clipper we worked at. So we were like just trying to build work that looked cool. So anybody would hire us. So we started making merch day one, but it was all like very low stakes. Like I didn't let her press it. If I had to pay someone to do it, I wasn't doing it. Oh, we just went and got I it done at Kinko's. And, or I would cut my own like lithograph or what do you call those? Like, it's like, you know, you Ruby lift. carve your own, you know, like, and you st- press your own. I was making my own prints. Woodblock? If I couldn't do it, yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I couldn't do it, we weren't doing it. It was like spray paint. It was like spray paint on t-shirts. You Super know? DIY and, like you and you're doing oh, small yeah. limited runs for like proof limited of concept. Runs. And honestly, just like you said, no one bought, We I think our first couple of prints, no one bought it. Like two friends, maybe three friends, your friends that love you no buy one. it because they feel bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so endearing in the beginning. You feel like a little kid because it's all named you know, like popping up in your queue, like, oh, your your aunt bought something. You're like, <laughs> my mom bought five of these prints. <laughs> yeah. yeah, awesome. I was seeing my sister's name pop through, my uh, brother's name. Yeah, I think with the product stuff, a, a lot of people are too ambitious in the beginning, and I think like just making interesting graphics is cool and um, on its own, right? Like monetizing something like that is, is going to be overwhelmingly difficult. But if I was to give like a couple tidbits of advice about that, I would say pick something that people would buy multiples of like over time. Right. So like uh, a, a t-shirt is something people could own 10 of or purchase 10 of, but like a wall print or something like that just tends not to really um, n- wall art in, in general is a very difficult thing to sell a lot of people just only have a lot of space. I, I have a ton of frames in my, office because i like them but i think i'm kind of the exception to the rule you know or start out with digital products i feel like did that's so low risk and then you whatever you make off of it you can use to leverage your next physical good like a font yeah then your physical good is is you know monetized or is funded by you know the proceeds from the last thing and it feels like it's it's like if you sell some great if not like it was a test that you did and you wouldn't have known until you tried well, that's like Amir with Garm, G-A-R-M. He just started that, you know, goods company. He just scanned in all of, the of these. Oh, is that? 
gosh. Oh, it's awesome. Well, he just scanned in all of his old collections of just like um, ephemera, ephemera, which there's no copyright on them. They're so old, but he just scanned it all and put it into this digital download that Big he's selling for I think 30 years. There's volume one, two, yes. and three. I'll link it up in the exactly. show notes. Just saying. And it's so valid and he could have got it printed but they, then again there's like a lot of logistics and shipping and printing stuff so he kept it simple just a digital download and you pay 30 bucks it's just like there oh it's so God, yeah. easy those digital asset companies they're just they had it figured out from the beginning just 100%. Sits, on a, sits on a dropbox folder somewhere <laughs> yeah like, yeah it's genius like, it yeah. is dude genius. i've killed it with procreate brushes just making my own and then everybody just showing how i use them on my stories and so many people kept hitting me up what are you using i'm like oh shit i better just sell these and it's just yeah. made a killing on my side yeah. and on the design cuts. So yeah, it's oh, wild. Yeah. Isn't it, that funny? Yeah. And like, I used to think like, who makes money at fonts? Like, well, that's because I wasn't making any money at fonts at the time, but you can. And I'm <laughs> now starting to see that. So, but it's funny how at first you always think like, you assume no one's making money with these smaller project products. But it's like, once you kind of start building your audience and like you said, showing them how to use it and things like that, like it is amazing how quickly it can kind of, get rolling so like scotty that speaks to something important though which is that your audience will tell you what they want from you if you show them what you're doing they'll eventually tell you what product you should make for them by saying how can i do it can i have it show me how that's how we started our book it's like seth godin's he's his quote is like don't build a product and try to find your customers you know build an audience and then find how to serve them and build something for them I'm like, that's so good, sir. That, that is a really great mm-hmm. way to phrase that's it. That's my yeah, whole business like, has how- been built off that model versus guessing in the beginning and creating fucking products no one wanted. Yeah. Right. Oh, like, yeah. How yeah. can I make money off this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that's, like, everybody's trying to yeah. monetize in the beginning. Like, you don't even know the demand or value you provide yet. Like, yeah. you don't know your voice. You don't even know your style. It, it is will come. so true. It will all come I, to it you. It is so true. People try to like become a, like a draplin type thing. And it's like, no one wants your name on their t-shirt yet. Like no offense, you know what I mean? Like you haven't gotten that far yet. You know what I mean? But everyone thinks that you could just put their name on a t-shirt and it's going to be like, you know, the next thing, but you have to give, and people like draplin do, um, they invest so much upfront and give so much free information and so much time. Like anyone who's ever met draplin knows, like he is so generous with his time and his knowledge. So it's like, you have to do a lot of like investment in your audience. So if like, that's not for you. And if you're kind of like, oh, that like, I don't want to waste my time doing that, then you might have a tough time selling your own brand. You have to do cold outreach and run Facebook ads to cold audiences off your, yeah, it's no, not about that cold life. Um, I want to make sure we get to this question, then blast through those Twitters. Um, what's your top hilarious or even nightmare client story in a abbreviated condensed version? I feel like Arisa should do his three for all three of us because I know he has so many funny ones. <laughs> oh my God. He, I've been doing this for a long time now. It's usually more mistakes that I've made or, or like red flags I kind of avoided. You know, for example, I used to work at Nike and I misspelled the word forever on a, on a t-shirt that we created like 1500 units or something. It, had, it all had to be incinerated. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Tends to do stuff like that. Especially even luxury goods. They're like, we have all these extra Louis Vuitton purses. Yeah, we should just light them on fire. Um, it's, it's, uh, it can be a bit of a waste there. I, you know, in that instance, I'm actually not really sure what they did with the t-shirts, but I'm, they just never hit the floor or anything. Um, the, um, I'm constantly making mistakes, like, or I just misread emails or, um, or um, do just funny, dumb stuff. My clients are usually pretty lenient. I mean, one of the things that I realized early on uh, is that clients are not adversaries. They're really like, they're your partners. And so if there's anything adversarial happening in any way, then like, 
somebody's misunderstanding the relationship like pretty quickly um, or, uh, you know, expectations haven't been set. You know, I find that usually happens with clients who just don't use a lot of creative services, you know, um, and there's a, you know, not to be too much an advice giver, but I, I tend to avoid work where if someone's not letting me art direct and deliver on the product, um, I need them to be very clear about the thing they want me to deliver on because if they can't trust themselves and they can't trust me, any, anywhere in between tends to be like a real problem. Um, and I, I can fish those out pretty quickly. Like, oh, you're trying to tell me that you want I have freedom, but you also want to, you also want an art director, and it's just not going to work in that way. And I'm fine with either, but you know, tends to be that uh, that those are the times I notice actual nightmarish things happening or brand products going completely off the rail. I think I had I was having like one in one in 20 brand projects kind of go off the rails. And that's when I actually called the hoods and was like, let's, let's talk about your process. I'm, I'm curious what you guys are doing. They're really the, like one of like five people. Uh, not that you're one person, you guys are two of like five people that, <laughs> that I, that I'll like call or contact, you know, to, to ask advice. Cause they think the self-employment, um, the self-marketing, there's just not a lot of people you can like lean on for that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I don't have a, I don't want to put anybody on blast too much, but I have had some absolute goddamn nightmare stories. <laughs> yeah, totally. When you have nothing, no, you know, bridges to burn or anything. Just publish like it on your deathbed. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely red flags. Like mostly Jen and I noticed them in the signing contracts phases. And we've had a couple of projects where everything was approved and then it went to contract and they kept trying to be sneaky in the contracts. And we just had to say, listen, we can't sign this. So I guess you know you might just find somebody else you know and we've had to let things go and it felt like the end of the world because it's like those clients that seem like you know oh it's such a big name it's such a cool thing and then the more you think about it you're just kind of like it's not worth it we would have been so stressed it was already a rush project and we can't you know we can't even get what we all agreed to written in a contract fairly like I think the one thing that's interesting that I was was shocked at like when we were younger is like we had a business mentor who was like, just tell them you need to change this. And I'm like, change the contract? But they're bigger than us. Surely they know what they're talking about. Surely they wouldn't screw us over. Well, they might, and they might try. And it might not even be the creative director you're talking to. It might be the legal team who's, you know, just trying to like, like overly protect their side. So it's like, don't be afraid to be like, hey, this verbiage doesn't make any sense. And, you know, push back because we've had a lot of bigger companies that we were like, hey, this contract is kind of weird. It's not really for what we're doing. What if we just use our contract? And they're like, oh, okay, that's fine. And we're like, oh, wow, it just took like asking a question or pushing back a little bit. So I think it's easy to be scared when you're like a freelancer of one to two or like a small studio, but um, it's good to push back and you get more respect in the end, I found. Before we move on to the Twitter questions, I think to just summarize it all, so many people think um, from a, a social media perspective of like, wow, doing full-time freelance just looks like the best thing in the world. And they don't see all the unglorified grunt work behind the scenes of the email, the admin, the accounting, the taxes. If you don't have representation, you don't have like a good CPA lined up. There's just so many things that you don't have a team to, around you to delegate things with in the beginning. There's just so much shit and I think it's just all over glorified yeah. and not everybody's cut out for it. And I'm just glad that you all can talk about the hard times with it, the non-highlight yeah. reels and just be real. Cause it's, it's not for everyone. 
Oh yeah, well you guys are lucky. You guys uh, share a business together, and, and you share a bunk bed too, right? They like can just lean over and just be like, <laughs> so the person. Oh my gosh, I'd love concept. to know what people think that is going on. That's hysterical. Just creepy. I just use my hands. my my Dixie cup connected to a string to Amy's Dixie cup. Can <laughs> <laughs> we just talk just like all night like about though, our plans right? for Hutzpah? <laughs> we don't even need the Dixie cups. It's more just for the nostalgia of it. The legal stuff definitely is a complicated thing. You know, you really have to have like some representation here and there and you have to, you know, you have to have people that kind of look over you or send the bullying emails on your behalf. I mean, sometimes I, one of the things I think that I, I always want to make sure is that like I'm good cop, you know, and when you have to be good cop, bad cop sometimes like, or just good cop and pay me, like it just gets a little unfun, you know? And I think there's a lot of reasons why agencies are kind of, you know, diced up into different portions where you know, things are either automated or they have some person just accounts payable who's making, who's handling a lot of that stuff. So it's like, yeah, it is kind of just not that fun sometimes doing that stuff, wearing all those hats. You get a little better, a little sharper at it each time, you know, but um, it, it can be weird. Yeah. One time a lady that I was working for, and it was when I was so new and I was giving her like rock bottom prices, so many change, kept trying to give her more changes to please her. We're on like round 12 and I had only scoped out three, but I just knew I, I was like, this woman is, I can make her happy. Well, anyway, it got to this point where I was like, I've gone too far. Like you, you've paid for what, or I've gone over what I, the scope was like, just pay me and we're going to end this here. And she was like, I won't pay you. And she had her husband pretend to be a lawyer, oh, but God. listen, if you have to do that, have someone pretend to be a lawyer. If you need to. <laughs> <laughs> she she did it and I googled him and I realized he was not a lawyer but it's like have someone be like hey I'm the project manager you need to pay and it could be your husband or your wife or your girlfriend or your best friend hello but, um, I'm that made me lawyer. laugh and I've always thought about it it's lawyer Dave Smith here and I just want to let you know I don't like the way you're handling <laughs> I think I think yeah with the automated like kind of like the bill you know invoices I think there's like clean and easy ways to handle a lot of that dumb stuff it's just like new clients have to pay me up front you know I just like I can't hop in bed with like a lot of people or have time to invest in like onboarding a new relationship that I just it's a pandemic y'all you know I don't even know who's solvent <laughs> that's the beauty of a side hustle though is you can figure out all the unglorified shit behind the scenes slowly as you go like I could have never just jumped into doing my thing full-time had I not spent five and a half years of figuring things out slowly as a side hustle like there's no way I could be doing what I'm doing now junk bouge on Twitter says, how do you steer the client in the right direction if they're dead set on something that you feel isn't good enough or could be better? I presented what I think is a better option, but they didn't even seem to give it a thought. I mean, first, don't show something you don't think is a good option, but where would you take this? And, and let's start of like rapid fire through them. Amen. Yes and amen to that. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, don't show things you don't like, for sure. Also, always present the dopest option first and you don't have to show it in your portfolio. Yep, 100%. Okay. Um, next one. I like this. Chaz Thetic said, how do you balance the creative side of the business with the boring operations and financial side of the biz? Ooh. I think a lot of that for me is just automating really simple things that I, I wouldn't have to think about. Knowing how to, vet, knowing how to vet people that come in and knowing how to get them to pay and then just focusing much more energy on, on the stuff that's really fun. So I, I think I spend probably 95% of my time designing or art directing. I don't really spend much of my time. Damn, do you? Good for you. Yeah, for sure. You fucking unicorn. We've spent probably 30 to 40% managing, but um, I wonder if it's because, I don't know, we also have like, you know, B and Arturo. So sometimes it's just like me sending them work and things, you know? So I think sometimes it's like more than just like what I'm supposed to be doing. 
Yeah, you guys are you guys have a little bit more plate spinning in terms of the operations of your business, I think. You know, I'm kind of a one man shop. Sometimes I'll use an animator, that kind of thing. But I'm usually art directing and executing on all my all my projects. I mean, assuming meetings, like don't, you know, there are meetings for sure a few times a week, you know, for like an hour. So that's you know, that's the time that I'm not I can't imagine there would be much else going on. And I have accountants and bookkeepers and stuff, so I don't really like I don't touch any of that stuff. And I think over time it's slowly as you scale your business, finding ways to delegate more. Like I wasn't able to have a team of four, but then this whole summer I was finally in a position where I could get all my podcast stuff off my plate and running behind the scenes. And all I have to do is just schedule and have conversations. So like, but it's taken years to get to that. That's great. Yeah. I mean, you're producing a, you're producing a show. Like, so yeah, all that extra stuff, you're the talent. So delegation, elimination and pushing shit to the back burner that doesn't serve you. So lots of priorities thing, but again, Figured out solely outside of a day job. This one's from Kyle Sintemverser. The um, how do you keep the dream alive and energy up when times get hard? Oh man, this happens all the time. Almost, I've got like a very um, up and down personality. It's like <laughs> everything's great and then everything's like, like Iowa good, weather. The world's gonna end. Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. And so a lot of time, I just have to go outside and remember that the world is still spinning and that this really doesn't matter. And that sounds bad but it is just work and it can be easy to forget that. So I always go outside. I take a little walk. I hear the birds tweeting and I'm like, right. Like everything's going to keep spinning. If this doesn't, all I have to do is like yeah. send them an email, like, Hey, I need an extra day or like, okay. So they want to print it this way. They want to print it this way. Fine. It's on them. I did the best I could, you know, just go outside. Yeah, man. Meditation exercise. I like, I finally have I'm such a fragile little baby. Like, <laughs> I'm like if i have one project go off the rails in like one year i'll be like god damn i should quit design you know <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. cut out this. i think um yeah i think one thing is it's, it's not personal usually and anyone who's making the design thing seem personal is just either taking it too seriously or, or whatever we're all just like i think of it more as a blue collar job you know? we're just yeah. people need creative services and we just deliver on those things and uh, move on to the next one I also think about like my friends who have like regular jobs. I'm like, like, we're so lucky to have this job. That's like really fun for the most part. You know, I'm like, what if I had to like dig ditches or something? <laughs> like like it, it could be so much worse is right. I guess what I'm saying. There's always someone who would want to be in your spot. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's a danger to tying all your self-worth and purpose to your job. So right. just don't do that. Like, sure, it's fun. In certain days, you feel like you've really made an impact, but there's going to be days where you just need to watch Columbo to get through it and like work on the side. You know, like you just have to find ways to motivate yourself to just get the work done it's yeah. on certain days, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of dig digging ditches, one time I was getting a massage from this lady and she, she was like working on my hands and she was like, I can tell you have a good job because you have the hands of a lady. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I don't dig ditches. Yeah. And she, I laughed super hard and she like did not laugh at all. And I realized she was being serious. So nice hands, nice hands. Yeah. I get made fun of for having uh, non laborious hands too. So uh, <laughs> I, I think this one builds off this last one. This one comes from, this is Mahamar. What were, are your tips for taking long periods of time off work, especially when you have that no work, no pay mindset early on in your freelance, like, damn, that one hits me. I struggle with that. That is tough. I know. We don't take vacations. So <laughs> we're still not doing good. So tell us, Ariza. Well, I'm going to take two weeks off this month um, just because I've been 
grinding and working on a house. Um, and so houses are really expensive to fix up and they're also expensive to buy. My, I live in like a modest house, you know, um, but I think um, part of that is um, how much do you like what you're doing? And, and for me, a lot of like design isn't really, doesn't feel like a lot of work, you know, um, and it's just something I like to do. So sometimes I'll bring my laptop with me when I go places. But um, yeah, I try to take a few weeks off a year kind of sporadically, but it's never really all at one time. But yeah, if you're self-employed, I mean, if you're not working, you're not eating sometimes. Backs against um, the wall. It's a lot of pressure. So it's kind of the life you choose, I guess, comes a little bit with the territory. I mean, both of uh, me and the girls here, we both have separate businesses that sort of can sell, you know, assets that can sell and have revenue sort of on their own without, without us working too much. Um, so that's been a nice buffer, but yeah, I mean, I've definitely been in the boat where you're like, oh uh, yeah, but yeah, I got to keep working a bit to make a rent or make mortgage, you know? I mean, for sure. Once you build up your savings, a lot of that, the freedom comes into play that you yeah. don't feel when you don't have that security. So build up your savings as soon as possible. Like, like three to six months, three to six is the optimal, but at the very least try and get to that two month early on, you know, because that gives you a little bit more power to at least say no to work. You don't think is right for you to start. But then after that, to have more control over your schedule. And then the thing I find the hardest about actually blocking out time to go on vacation is, I mean, you plan ahead, of course, you tell all your clients, but there's going to be a few bleed overs. So I'm like Ariza, where I don't mind taking my laptop with me and doing a few things as long as I know that the majority of the time I'm trying yeah. to shut off and like, re, you know, rejuvenate and stuff. But I don't mind, uh, you know, just like a little bit of work just to like keep everyone feeling like it's going to be okay. I'll be home yeah. soon. Like your, your stuff will be taken care of. I think it's the permission of like, yo, your business isn't going to fucking crumble. It's if you take no, a little time yeah. off, that's me. I grinded myself way too hard, zero breaks yeah. from side hustle all the way to this year. And like, I, I was about to collapse for real. Like it was, it was bad. Yeah. So like I forced myself to take two weeks, kind of two weeks off in June and spend days with like kiddos totally getting out of there. And then I've scheduled two weeks off in November or one week off in November. And then the last week off that's or two amazing. weeks off through the holidays because I haven't taken Good for you. any time off. You have to, yeah. Yeah, with family I'm stuff. More of the person, I, I grinded through yeah. the whole holidays last year. And Oof. then I went from launch into launch into launch into launch, like eight launches in a row, burned out. So like I had yeah. I had to take breaks. I would just ignore my body. And if you ignore your body long enough, your body's gonna make you pay. Yeah. Oh yeah. You do have to force yourself because like Ariza said, sometimes it doesn't feel like work. And I'll get I'll get on these rolls where for like two months I'm like, I'm flying high. I'm a great God, you know, like nothing, <laughs> everything goes my way, you know. But um, you will burn yourself out even when things are going right if you're just working too much. So it's like I always Jen, I don't know if you're but I like to when I'm feeling like a little bit stressed I'll just take Friday off. I like to take like littler breaks more often as opposed to like a two week long thing. But um, however it works for you, that's a great part of being a freelancer is you get to choose what works for you. That's like the best part. And this kind of doesn't have to do with this, but I would also say, don't believe the hype that everyone else is doing so much better than you. Everyone's doing it on credit. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm totally unconvinced that people are all the time making money. I just, I, I know what it takes to run a business. So, and I know what the market rates are, you know? So if someone's a millionaire, like they have developed some app asset that can sell itself over time, you know? I just, there are market rates for things, but I think a healthy mind is just like these other things, having relationships and running and exercise and meditation and sleep. being outside. And sleep, sleep and fucking and, water. 
like you will not be a normal sane person if you work on or I won't be a normal sane person. Maybe there's some people they they can rely. But I just, you know, I'm I'm just like teetering on losing my mind pretty much all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I know I can feel like that too. So I feel bad I can't get to all the questions. Last one here and we'll uh wrap this up. But this one's from Baylor Davy. Who or where do you look to for inspiration? Man, I hear this a lot, but I'm curious to hear your answers. It comes to me all over the place. And usually when I go to look for it, it's like when you go to the mall and the mall, are we in the eighties? <laughs> Anyways, still when you go somewhere, <sighs> when you go online, wherever you shop to look for something specific, you're never going to find what you need if you're going after it. But like when you're just browsing and looking like without intent is usually when you find the things that you like and want the most. So that's why, you know, like when I'm watching TV constantly, I'll be stopping the show yeah. and like taking pictures of weird little things in the background or like, archive footage from like a documentary with like cool text in it so it, it kind of hits you wherever and it's you, the best stuff comes when you're not really looking for it unfortunately which means just like go out and see different things yeah. and break up your routine and explore things that you don't see every day you know and be actively paying attention it's so easy to just like get stuck in like the tiktok scroll or like just netflix binging like nonstop. it's so easy to just kind of try to turn your brain off but it's like if you're actively paying attention to what you're doing you can find a lot of cool inspiration yeah, I mean, I think there could be, for me, it's, I'm, I'm with all that stuff. I art direct myself. Usually I'm making mood boards, but also do creative writing for content, just ideas, just letting them flow, like writing lists of, of objects or scenes or concepts that I could, that's where the Never Worried series comes from, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then um, collaboration and feedback, that kind of thing, just people who, who think a little bit different than me. Sometimes I'll show Amy and Jed some stuff and, We'll have lots of good notes about that kind of stuff and then um and yeah i think the collaborative process so i mean inspiration is kind of everywhere but I, I do have a, i have a pretty strict process by which i make ideas and don't really get to go too much and sam said it in the podcast with you the last one that i listened to but like i also have a notes like in my notes app, I just have a huge document of stuff that comes to me. It's always while I'm driving and I'm like trying to write it down, like without getting in a car accident, but I'm like, this is hilarious. <laughs> you know, um, there is Siri, but it's like, like, Hey, remind me yeah. of this. I, know. Oh, I put her to I, work. I don't, I don't trust Siri. She's listening. I'm just so old school. I just forget about all the awesome. But idea I'm collecting, like you have to collect your ideas, especially if you can get them one place. And then the last thing I would say is I notice a big pain point is people get so wrapped up in comparison because they're and regurgitating the same shit they see online because they just continually scroll on Instagram sourcing inspiration. Get, get offline. Get offline. Dude, get offline. It remove Instagram from your home screen. It's so tuck it in a I, folder when within I, a folder's folder. Oh, yeah, I took a break from Instagram and I was shocked. Well, I know tell it's so annoying, annoying. but tell but, us how much it helped you. <laughs> First of all, it did help. It did help, Jen. Thank you. But I kept automatically, every time I would open my phone, my thumb would go to where the Instagram mm -hmm. icon was. And I was like, I, it honestly freaked me out. And I was like, this is like, this is like an alcohol, this is like a substance abuse. Especially waking up, rolling out of bed and going right to it. Ooh, yeah. that's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, so I was just like, it was good to take some breaks. But is there anything more self-righteous than the person who has no. taken a break from Instagram and then wants to tell you yeah. how great the break from Instagram on it? They want to no, tell you. I don't think it's self. That's a sister. Yeah. No, I think the breaks are good. I think that yeah, comparison is kind of a funky little thing that gets in the it gets in the minds of everyone. You know, I don't 
I, I, I more see myself like, why didn't I get that opportunity? Or like, why am I not awesome at everything? Why is my podcast <laughs> not getting as many downloads? <laughs> yeah. Why don't I get yeah. that sponsorship? I still like have to shut that shit off. Yeah. Well, there's just a, the truth is um, luck or opportunity. It just yeah. doesn't come evenly across everyone. You know, sometimes it comes because you're just in the right place at the right time or you yeah. need somebody or you were ready or weren't ready at the right time. And I think just people should recognize that like in time, if you're making interesting work, people will start to recognize it and they will tune in and they will start to hire you. Um, but I think, yeah, I do it too all the time. Um, but I've try, I try to, yeah, Instagram is just a slog. It's, it's, yeah. it's going to be gross for, some, for sure. I think it's not about winning the game. It's just how long can you stay in the game and then opportunities relationship behind every door is a person who's opening the door so like all of this just happens when you stay in the game long term you know and the ball will I think we just need to all be like run our test it's like we may not be starting lineup but when they call on us we are ready and we are ready to make that game winning shot no i think we have yell to... i love basketball no, no, no. The, the, <laughs> and throwing elbows at people Chris, too yeah and right. if you have to throw go up in the stands and beat somebody up no i'm kidding don't do that don't do no that. the play is to be chris paul who's making money on the all-state commercials while he's playing <laughs> the finals oh, yeah, that's who you gotta be i'm the new chris paul <laughs> yeah i'm really the trevor ariza Hey, you you're back this. on our squad, homie. I good at dude, defense. I love Trevor I play for everyone. I'm not loyal. <laughs> no, but he is. When he he gives you, he may only play five minutes or you know ten minutes, but he will like give you everything for that five minutes. Sure. I'll, I'll try not to end Trevor. this on a Lakers note here, but oh my gosh, our squad. Let's go. Yes. Let's go. Let people know where they can find you and support you online both of you too, and Josh, you know, your personals and um, your businesses. We're at hoodsbadesign.com and hoodsbadesign for pretty much everything. And if you want to see how people use our fonts, we're at hashtag hoodfonts. Yeah. If you want to find me on Instagram or Twitter, the handles are the same for both. It's Joshua underscore Ariza or at Chomp Brand. And um, you can find me there and also in the water since I'm surfing. Every time I have to type Joshua Ariza, I'm like, Joshua. It's just uh, not, I'm like, who is Joshua? So, <laughs> so prestigious. I, I only know Josh. Before we end, I was like giving some student portfolio and I wanted to use some reference. And I was like, uh, you know, she probably would have looked me up before I, I came here, right? Because I'm speaking at the school. And so I, I start typing in Joshua and it just finishes Josh Noom. Like <laughs> the designer Josh Noom. My name is not in there, by the way, anywhere. <laughs> Like, she was searching for Josh Noom, who is an amazing Josh designer. Like Josh Noom here too. Well, uh, I, so I really appreciate y'all making time to do this for me. And I'm glad when we were able to make it happen two, three years later, it took too long. So I wouldn't mind continuing to do this triplet, the triplets, the triplets. What is it? Yeah. The three J's. The triplets. So, um, Let's do it. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being willing to be peppered with all these questions. And I look forward to connecting hopefully soon in person. I owe you all a slice of beer, whatever you want. So thank you. <laughs> nice. Great. Sounds good. All good right. hanging, Scotty. Talk soon. Peace. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Joshua Ariza of Chant Brand and Amy and Jen of Hoodspa Design. Please do what you do best. If you found value in what they had to say today, go blow them up on Instagram right now and share with them your biggest takeaways. My guests love hearing from you. I hear it all the time that I got the best listeners because they show appreciation to these people. So for real, that would mean everything to me. 
Also, make sure to follow and support them by snagging some of their merch or their resources on their website, which is tucked into the show notes. At Player, wherever you're at here for episode 229, you can't miss it. Before I forget, Josh Ariza wants to hook you up with 20% off so you can get some chomp drip by using promo code PERSPECTIVE at checkout. So thank you so much, Josh. I really, really appreciate that. And I promise you, this is science, backed by science. If you wear Chomp brand clothing, you're going to make a lot of new friends. I promise, I promise, it's science. So, one last thing. Are you feeling creatively stuck and isolated with your creative pursuits? If so, you are the exact type of person I'm looking to work closely with in a future Side Hustlers coaching program. This is a customized 12-week program for 10 students tapping into the next level of clarity, confidence, community, and accountability within your creative side hustle pursuit. I host this every spring and fall, so learn more. Enjoy the A-list waitlist over at SideHustlersCoaching.com to lock in a spot in an upcoming session. And I look forward to getting a chance to work with you in the future. And as I sign off, huge shout out to the podcast squad. I got my podcast editor, Anya Brennan, executive assistant, Paige Garland, video specialist, Colton Bacher, social media coordinator, Hannah Schick, and Nick Jenkins of Bluka. And as you finish off this week strong, I want to continue to encourage you to keep showing up, keep putting in the work, and keep creating. You got this.